Wow. I know you heard it on Easter Sunday, but I'm telling you, Brad, that was phenomenal. That couldn't fit your voice better. Remember that song at the end of the message. You do that? We're going to begin a brand new series this morning. We've got sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, so take them out. We talked about doing a series a couple of months ago in senior staff meeting, and one of the things we wanted to do was to pull out as many Old Testament characters that we believe still speak today as we could over the next two or three months together. I listed a couple of titles, and somebody said, we ought to call them all movie themes, and I didn't know even what to do with that, and then all of a sudden I knew the one I was doing this morning, and I said, well, it's got to be a love story, even though it's not exactly the movie that we're talking about, but we're going to talk about relationships. If I were to ask you, what are some of the most rewarding and satisfying experiences in the world, or things that can drive you crazy and be very painful, you would probably say, raising junior high boys. <laughs> it's relationships. It's friendships. I mean, you've all had those hallmark moments when you're laughing and sharing and having a great time. You feel loved and understood by a friend or a mate, like you could tell them anything in the world. Feels awesome. Some of you are sitting here this morning and understand the deep wounds of betrayal and everything from dating to divorce. You remember what it was like when you broke up at one point or the other and you heard every excuse under the sun and none of them really seemed to bring healing to the wounds that you feel inside. They once asked Ruth Graham, if she ever thought of divorcing her evangelist husband, Billy Graham, she said, never once. I did feel like killing him one or two times. <laughs> My favorite Ken Davis line is this, a man wasn't very assertive at all. He went to a therapist and came back and said, woman, I want you to know that I'm the man of the house. You're going to fix me a great meal after that, a gourmet dessert. Then you're going to draw me a hot bath. And after that, do you know who's going to dress me and fix my hair? She said, yep, the funeral director. <laughs> Some of you understand what it's like to move into a new location. You've moved to a new town, a new school, or a new church. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, you find yourself saying, now I've got to start all over again. You felt comfortable where you were, you loved that town, or you loved that neighborhood, or you loved that community, or loved that school, and you were just about to graduate or get to a certain point, and all of a sudden, dad got a promotion, or mom got a job change, and now everything begins to change. We did that. My daughters were a sophomore and senior in high school. They had been in the same high school for all 10 years of their developmental process, and now all of a sudden, I got to come to them one day and said, hey, I need you to know that God has called us to Butler, Pennsylvania. And we're going to relocate in that. One said, send me your forwarding mail. The other said, I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> the one who said, I can't wait to get out of here stayed. The other one who said, send me your forwarding mail moved. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all of those relationships have to start all over again. I remember a gal from our last church saying to me, you need to know, or a second church I guess it was, you need to know that how hard it is to share your whole life with a pastor, only to have him come and say, God is moving him on, and i got to start all over again. I did that with the two before you, and I did that with you, and she did. I don't know that I want to do that again. And I get that. 
Relationships can be very painful when transition takes place. I had a buddy in the hospital this week, and when I hung up the phone the other day after finding out he was okay, I got really emotional. I didn't want to lose another friend. Some of you have never been happy in your life with somebody you're close to, and others know how incredibly painful it is to lose someone you love. And you ask yourself, why go through this? Why have relationships? You've been hurt, you've been wounded, you're alone, you say, why bother? Now, I'm not talking about why have acquaintances or business partners or neighborhoods. Neighbors, I'm talking about deep relationships where you share everything. Why have them? Because we're made for them. No other word describes humanness like relationships. It's the essence of what we're all about. It defines us and refines us. It's what we're created for, like a piano made to play music and not hold pictures. We're made for relationships. They shape us and form us into who we are. Your family, your friends, your relationship with God all go together to form who you are. That's why all of those things are so incredibly important. Your friends, your family, your relationship with God, because every single one of them go together to form who you are and who you'll become. That's why you've got to choose wisely and choose really well which we may talk about in a couple of weeks. Now, I know that may not answer all your questions about relationships or ease the pain to make you want to go back into them again if you've been hurt. But since we're made for them, I think we need to understand them. In a book called The Friendship Factor, Alex McKinnis said this, in our research in our clinic, we found that friendship is the springboard for every kind of relationship, for every kind of love. Friendship spills over into the most important relationships in our lives. People with no friends usually have a diminished capacity for sustaining any kind of love with anyone. Sadly, research done in the psych department at San Francisco University found that less than 15% of the people that took the survey responded saying, I have a really, really good friend. We're always amazed by the advances in technology. And you know as well as I do, they can help us or hurt us. To be honest with you, in a lot of cases, the advances in technology has hurt the relational dynamic between people. Now we're texting everybody and really don't have relationships. You've all seen the pictures enough to see the whole family sitting out at the dining room table somewhere at a restaurant, and they're all texting somebody else, sometimes one another. But they've lost the capacity to have deep, intimate relationships. They're surfaced down or pulled down to a, a few words or a, a, a sometimes words you can't even diagnose. I got a friend who texts me every once in a while. I wonder if it's even in English because you can't quite understand it. And all of those things that are to help us, to encourage us, to take us to the next level, sometimes take us in a wrong direction. We're going to talk about relationships this morning. I want to go back to the beginning of them in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bible or two, if you have your Bible, take them out and turn there. Obviously, you saw the video that Dave just shared with us a moment ago. Genesis chapter 1 is the story of creation. We are absolutely certain. As I stand here this morning, I am telling you, regardless of what you may hear in other contexts, God created this world. And he created it, by the way, in six days. Every single day, there was another aspect of creation. When he was done, he said, this is good. This is good. This is really good. And if you look at that first chapter, you can see all the little pieces begin to unfold in the world around us. Chapter 2, it's almost as if the writer, many say Moses, steps back for a moment and takes that first chapter, especially the last piece of that, and begins to extrapolate it out or define it or 
talk a little more about it, especially the relationship between a man and a woman. It begins in verse 15 this way. The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the livestock, birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But no suitable helpmate for Adam was found. So the Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed it up with a piece of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man. He brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's almost as if God is saying in that middle section there from verse 20 to 22, Look, you're not going to find what you're looking for out there somewhere. It can only be found through me. Now, when I look at that in a practical level and see what's taking place, I, th I find myself saying, God, thank you for allowing Adam to keep looking. But on a real scale, that phrase, you're not going to find what you're looking for out there, you're only going to find it in me, is really the essence of what the gospel is all about. It is the essence of what this love story is all about. Because people throughout history have been looking for something out there to satisfy the hole in their soul only to find, for those of us who have found it, that it's in the living God and a personal relationship with Jesus. But for century after century after century after century and the books of the Bible begin to unfold as man keeps looking somewhere else for something to satisfy, when God had been saying from the beginning of time, it is only going to be found in and through me. And so God does what he always does, creates. That's what those first two chapters are all about. He makes this incredible setting. And he places two people in it. And he said, now, do what you're created to do. Relate to each other and to me. Verse 19, it's not good to be alone. So he created a woman. And when he's done with this beautiful picture, he signs it as any good artist does. In verse 25, they were naked and unashamed. Incredible sermon title it would be, but I chose not to use that this morning. Unashamed or no shame means they're complete. Nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. Nothing they're trying to protect. No walls, no inhibitions. Nothing they're embarrassed about. Can you imagine that? They're clean and they're whole. That innocent goes physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually before God. That's why your choice of a mate is so incredibly important. Because when you choose God's design, when you choose God's person, and God orchestrates it, and God sets it up, and you find yourself in that relationship where you can physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually be whole with someone else, and that open and that free with someone else, it is incredible. But you won't find what you're looking for out there. It is only in Him. And for those of us in this audience this morning who have come from the negative side of that, you can stand up and say amen. That innocence physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually before God is what we were made to be. 
If you could step into this picture and ask Adam and Eve, what is it like? What do you feel? i got to believe they would say things like safe, secure, free, wonderfully significant. I really matter to someone just for who I am, not for what I do. That's the ideal. That's what you and I were made for. It was perfect. Everything was going fine until you saw in the clip chapter 3. When they basically in your sermon notes said, God, we don't need you in this relationship. And when God is removed from the centerpiece of relationships, a huge relational rupture takes place. The picture is shattered and broken. Verse 7, after they disobeyed God, look what happens. The eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Before you saw them open and unashamed, free. Now you see them hidden and afraid. Up to this point, they were whole. Now they have two selves. That good self created in the image of God with worth and value. And that part of themselves that is capable of hurting someone or being hurt. They're afraid because they don't know what the other person is going to do with that part. So the answer, hide. They go to a fig tree. They get some leaves. They stick something together in some designer fashion, all designed to keep the other person from seeing the immature, imperfect self. We still do that. We hide behind an image. We get all dressed up. We go to the Garden of Eden Mall just to buy some better fig leaf clothes, all designed to keep anybody from seeing what really goes on inside of us. Because we don't know what to do with it, and we don't know what they're going to do with it. In this case, it gets worse. God shows up. And so they hide. They're afraid that that inner person, that person that was at one point so secure and so free is going to be now revealed. And they don't know what God's going to do with it. Certainly don't know what the other person's going to do with it. So they hide. And God begins to talk to them. And when he does and starts to ask questions, not only do they hide, but they blame each other. God says, Adam, what's going on? Adam says, the woman you gave me. Matter of fact, I, I love that phrase in the sense he's saying, God, it's your fault. <laughs> Adam's horribly afraid what God's going to say. and He's afraid that immature, imperfect self is going to be seen for all of its flaws and doesn't know what she's going to do with it. And he certainly doesn't know what God's going to do with it. So he said, God, it's her. Why don't you go talk to her and put some blame on her? Nothing's changed, right, in thousands of years. When things get hot in our world, we look for somebody to blame. And when God confronts Eve, she blames the snake. When you're hiding, you throw blame at anything or anybody. Most of us have two selves. That safe self and that unsafe self. You could call them that real self and the fig leaf self. The safe self is what I'm willing to let you see. The unsafe self is that part of me that I don't want to show you because I'm really not sure what you're going to do with it. And for some cases, I've been hurt before because I did that, and I don't want to go through that pain again. And so I'm going to protect it in any way I can. And we protect it with all kinds of creative coverings. For some, it's work. Nothing wrong with work at all. But some use it to hide behind and keep people at a distance. Using work to do what it was never designed to do, we become good and successful and competent. People walk by us and say, wow, what a wonderful outside self you have. But beneath is that unsafe part of us that 
We don't want to show them because we don't want to find out what they're going to do with it. If they're just going to like us for who they are. And then if we're really honest, underneath all of that is that little boy or that little girl who really never got approval just for who they were. And so they hide. Parenting can be a fig leaf. Nothing wrong with being a good parent at all, but sometimes we try so hard to be that perfect parent, that good parent, because we're afraid to deal with our mate. Or we're trying to get our kids to live out what we could never accomplish. Exercise can be a fig leaf. We use it in order to hide that scared little person inside who, if we're really honest, doesn't feel real good about their body. Nothing wrong with exercise at all. A lot of us here this morning ought to exercise a lot. Nothing wrong with that at all. I have a responsibility to take care of our body. What we have to be careful of, and you've heard all the arguments that have been up for the last 20 years in regards to what's the perfect model and the perfect shape. And Barbie, whoever, we all grew up with Barbies and they were all perfect, right? And that was the image we projected. I'm not talking about that at all. There's nothing wrong with exercise. But if we use it as a way to covering up for that little person that we're so afraid. And we don't want to know what anybody's going to do with how we feel. Somewhere the fig leaf is just being nice. They smile all the time. Especially, I love, I love coming to church on Sunday morning. And, and, I, and I, let me tell you the opposite in a minute. But, I, you know, I, we all do that, right? How you doing? Good. Everything okay? Yeah. Feeling good? Absolutely. Let's do lunch. Okay. You never do, but you always say that, right? They're so nice. Now, it's not on my nose, but I want to flip the opposite because it came to my heart the other day. You know that. What I just said, we all know that. We know that happens on Sunday morning, and we know what it's like on Sunday morning, and people will come to me with all kinds of arguments in the last 40 years. We ought to be a church where we can let all the masks down and just let everybody know who we are and what's going on in our lives. And I get and understand that. But what you got to realize, some people just walked in the room. And in a large setting like this, there are all kinds of people who came for the first time, maybe just to find out what it's all about, who will be blown out of their socks. If all of a sudden, 1,200 of us started doing that. And so everything I'm going to talk about this morning is not in the context of the church ought to be real and we ought to pull down all the masks and we ought not to be that way on Sunday morning. I'm not saying that at all because sometimes in a large context it's impossible. But within the context of safe relationships, it has to be. Otherwise, we'll just go through life being nice, which is okay. But sometimes we're so nice because we're afraid that somebody will find out we're not nice all the time. Or that person who tries so hard to be funny, when all the while they're like the clown in the circus, using humor to cover up how they really feel. Can't, I, I can't even tell you the amount of stories that I've read about those guys who paint themselves all up so that they can be smiling and happy all the time and literally have committed suicide because they're putting on an image that they're really not. And you know as well as I do, there are people, all kinds of people like that, who try so hard to be the life of the party because they're afraid to let you see the real them. Religion can be a free leaf. Wanting people to believe that you're different than who you really are. Pretending to be holy on Sunday. But something else throughout the week. Doing all kinds of religious things. Hoping that God will love you and accept you. When we sang this morning, he loves you just as you are. And accepts you just as you are. Doesn't expect you to stay that way. 
takes you, flaws and all, and calls us his children. There are others, of course, who hide behind drugs and alcohol, hiding and blaming. Some will say, no, sir, not me. Two thoughts. Hiding is many times not a conscious process. Secondly, denial is the most often worn fig leaf. Characteristics of hiding are feeling alone. Not lonely, but alone. Deep down inside, you feel certain that no one understands you, and if they really did, they wouldn't accept you. Another feeling is boredom or running on empty. Slowly but surely, it feels like somebody's letting the air out of your energy. The things that used to excite you don't anymore, and you wonder after a while how long you'll have the energy to keep this charade going. Not only do we hide, but we throw blame at other people and the characteristics in your notes of being blame throwers or being touchy or angry or defensive. And anybody gets near your fig leaf and you let loose. So what do we do? In the 60s and 70s, everybody was trying to find themselves. The baby boomers made a science out of it. Psychedelic drugs and encounter groups, but the world to them seemed so unsafe. And here we are 60, 50 years later and still dealing with some of the same issues. When I try to reveal my real self, I get hurt. So what do I do? Well, we can go back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says, God put an angel there with a flaming sword so that no one could go back. So we can go back. Where do we go and what do we do? Well, it's in your sermon notes. We go forward into safe relationships. Because to be honest with you, it's the only way that immature, undeveloped, hidden part of ourselves can be whole again. It's the only way to really come out of hiding. So what are some of the characteristics of safe relationships? I'm glad you asked because they're in your sermon notes. What I want to do, though, is use God as a model. Now, there are all kinds of models that I could have used. There's something fascinating about God's approach and the ultimate story of relationships in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. These are excellent characteristics to have in marriage partners, so write that down somewhere. Excellent characteristics to look for in a friend and excellent characteristics in how to be a friend. Number one, safe friends initiate, they don't invade. Safe friends initiate, they don't invade. In Genesis chapter 3, when with Adam and Eve, God initiates, he doesn't invade. The first mark of a true friend is somebody who gently moves toward you, even in the midst of your hiding and blaming. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, is this beautiful picture of God. The man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I love the fact that it says, Adam, where are you? As if God didn't know. I mean, can you imagine playing hide-and-seek with God? I love to do it with my kids, especially with the littler they are, the more fun you have when you say, where are you? And they would tell you. Are you hiding behind the curtain? Yeah. You know. Can you imagine playing hide-and-seek with God? Of course not. Hey, we all do. I love the fact that God comes in saying, as if he didn't know, Adam, what's going on? What's going on in your life? He doesn't invade. He doesn't walk into the garden and say, found you. <laughs> That's invading. Safe friends don't do that. And then God moves them to the next level, and he questions. And number two, he doesn't accuse. He says, so talk to me about what's going on. He doesn't accuse. Somehow we've pictured God that way. What's wrong with you two? How could you have done this? 
We need somebody to say, how can I help? What happened? What's going on? Cross-reference somewhere in your sermon notes, John chapter 20. It is, to me, one of the most fascinating sections of Scripture in all the New Testament after the resurrection of Christ. There's so many incredible stories about the resurrection of Jesus that we share on Easter Sunday, and, and the list goes on. But in John chapter 20, when Jesus first confronts Peter, who denied him, promised he'd stay with him, ran like crazy, said, Peter, do you love me? It didn't say, why'd you do that? Made a promise you didn't keep. Oh, yeah, I'll stay with you forever. I'll be the last one to leave you. You're the first one that splits. None of those things. I love that about Jesus. I love that about the Revelation stories as he confronts the churches in Revelation, which is what I've always tried to use as a model. In almost every single case, he comes at them with the positive first. And then the issue. And so often, so many people, parenting, relationally, whatever that may be, see the negative first, sometimes never even seeing the positive. And what I love about what God does here, because we haven't pictured in somewhere else or in some other way, yelling and screaming, how could you have done this? Look what I gave you. And we would have pictured somehow Jesus doing that with Peter of all people. And he lovingly and tenderly brings him back. Real friends do that. They're not always looking for the negative. Mates, genuine mates do that as well. Real friends do that. I mean, the negatives are obvious, right? I mean, who has to point out the negatives? We all know what they are. Sometimes we need somebody to see the positive and help us bring that out instead of seeing all the negatives. Number three, they tell the truth, though. They don't deny they tell the truth. They don't deny. After God initiates and after God lovingly questions and after they begin to respond, God says, I need you to understand what reality is all about. Because you shut me out of your life, there are some horrible consequences. And you and I have been dealing with those consequences ever since. The safe friend, though, tells the truth. They don't deny reality, but they do it in a genuine way that helps the person want to listen as opposed to reject. Safe friends, number four, respond. They don't run away. They don't run away. Once God tells the truth, he could have said, look, um, I'm out of here, man. I gave you my best. I'm on, come on, you're in a garden of Eden, for heaven's sakes. I gave you the best I had. I'm done with you. Doesn't at all. Safe friends don't run away when we share our stuff because they're aware, not in God's case, obviously, but in our case, Safe friends don't want to run away when we share our stuff because they're aware of their own problems. And number five, especially in today's issue of technology, safe friends protect. They don't disclose. Now, you know, I'm not a Facebook guy, so I, you know, I, don't, I want to be careful with that because it has tremendous value. But more people have found their identity out of Facebook than the good book. And more people pound on and throng on everybody else thinking they know every aspect of the story and they post something that really can destroy and hurt and what i love about this is that safe friends protect they don't disclose and they don't share with everyone else in an effort to harm you they want to protect you verse 21 the lord god made garments of skin for adam and his wife and he clothed them he brings them the skins of animals and he said let's trade 
Those fig leaves weren't designed to hide you. He doesn't just take them off. They can't go back to the beginning anymore. He says, try these on. They're going to protect you. Going to let you have borders and boundaries. And within context of that kind of relationship, we can become whole again. We started out life naked and unashamed. Then sin and pain and broken relationships caused scene two, which is hidden and afraid. But scene three is clothed and understood. And no one in your notes, no one does that better than God. Which is exactly why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He is not only part of the solution in your sermon notes. He is God's solution. Other people can be, absolutely, if they act life safe friends. And you may not have a friend like that. And I get it. My encouragement to you, be one. Now you can sit and say, well, I don't have anybody like that. I'll never be whole again. And I get that. Because there are some situations like that. But my encouragement to you is, be one be one some of you are sitting here this morning you're great in your relationships with people and your mate your family your friends and you've you've got some really valuable relationships one of the reasons i love being in a church this long is that i have some people that i genuinely genuinely love and feel close to but there are some of you sitting here some of you maybe for the first few times haven't been here in a while or haven't got connected yet, you're not in a small group, you just tried it and it failed, or you tried other relationships and you got burnt and hurt, and you're going, you know what, I'm done, I'm good. And I understand that. You've got to remember, I live in a glass house. <laughs> I, and as a minister, I live in a glass house. I live in a fishbowl. Everybody knows everything I do, and I, and I get that. Sometimes you just feel, I just want to hide a little bit. But you're never really going to be all that God designed you to be. And you're never going to be whole and healthy. But there are some of you sitting here this morning that just said, I just wish I could have a conversation with Jesus. <laughs> you can't. The same God who walked into the setting said, I love you enough to tell you the truth, is the same God who's here today. The same Christ who died on the cross and rose again and calls you in and says, you're free. Death was arrested. I'm a new creature in Christ. Is the same Jesus that can be here today for you and can unlock some of that pain and some of that brokenness. We've got great counselors. We're interviewing another one this week, maybe for some evening counseling, which we think will be a great aspect to all that we're doing with Monday and a couple of mornings a week and now some evenings that we want to offer. So we've got some great resources for you. But we also offer you the absolute perfect answer, and that is in Jesus. And if you don't have that, we want to offer him to you this morning as the solution to the pain you feel when relationships are shattered and broken. So let me pray with you. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God this morning, but I, we're, we're, we're good on time. I'd just love for you to take a couple of moments. If you've got great relationship, man, thank Him. Thank Him for the relationship you have with Him, with your mate, maybe some other friends in your life. Just Praise Him for that. But if you don't, reach out to Him. Because I'm telling you, He's here this morning.
I can pray for you in any way, I'd certainly love to do that. I want to invite you down this way. But for those of you who just uh, can quietly before God, just keep your heads bowed for a moment because I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But boy, if you could just say, if I could just raise my hand and say, pray for me because, man, the pain of relationships sometimes are, are, are just overwhelming. So would you pray for me this morning? I'd love to do that. So raise your hand. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Over the audience. God, I've been doing this so long. And sometimes it, it's just overwhelming to recognize that the people that come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday are dealing with so much stuff. We sing and we celebrate. We have such a great time and I love this place. But there are a lot of people in our audience who just are in some difficult moments in a relationship they never expected they would be in. One or the other had come to faith in Christ later in life and their mate just doesn't get it at all. And they feel so alone in so many different ways. And so, Lord, as you've seen these hands for a variety of reasons all over this audience this morning, I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, you'll be the mender of their heart and the lifter of their head. And may they find you wrapping your arms around them and showing them how valuable they are just for who they are, not for what they do or where they've been or what's going on in their lives, just for who they are as a son or a daughter of the King. In whose name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know what I'm talking about here this morning, you'd love to know more, I would absolutely count it the greatest privilege of all to tell him, to share him, show you him to let you know what he can do in your life you come this way if we can pray for you we'd love to do that but if you're looking for some answers please come this way family experience 10 minutes from now and kids stuff theater for kindergarten fifth grade and families god we love you god loves you next sunday morning's mother's day got a great sermon called women of god not just for mom but for women of god love to have you here god bless you have a great day